Um, I, it was great to worship with uh, all of you this morning and worship our God. And I thank the elders for uh, giving me this opportunity to stand before you today. And I also thank those of you who have been praying for me. Um, and uh, I hope that uh, God uses me and speaks the message, uh, allows me to speak the message that he has laid on my heart. So today, as you can see from the title, uh, I'll be speaking from Acts chapter 18. And the theme that I have laid out today is God's faithful, faithfulness. And we've we see that all throughout Acts chapter 18. So, faithfulness um, is a rare commodity, right? All of us have had the experience of, of trusting someone and them in some way or another letting us down. And because of that, one of the most encouraging promises that we have in the Bible is in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, where it says, God is faithful. Now, people may let you down, but God will never let you down. Of course, there are times where uh, it seems as God has let us down, but uh, we need to learn to deal with those times of disappointment, and usually the problem stems on our end and not on God's end. So, today I want to focus on the Lord's faithfulness to us, especially in, in times of difficulty. Because God, God is faithful to us, we should respond by faithfully serving God. Now, God's faithfulness does not exempt us from trials. What it means is that God will sustain us through these trials. And I have here um, a quick summary of the book of Acts. Uh, just so you can gauge where we are in the book. Um, the first chapter uh, was the introduction where Jesus, after he rose from the dead, he stayed with the disciples for 40 days, and he taught them and laid the Spirit upon them, right? And then chapters 2, and he gave also in Acts chapter 1 that commission to go to Jerusalem, then to Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, right? And the apostles fulfilled this throughout the chapter of Acts. You can see from 2 to 7, right, uh, they are the events that took place in Jerusalem. Then chapters 8 to 12 are the events that took place in Judea and Samaria. And then here we are in chapter 18, where we have the missionary journeys in Asia Minor and Greece. And finally, in chapters 21 to 28, we'll see Paul's imprisonment in Rome. So that's kind of the summary of the book of Acts. And uh, I have here this visual. I know you won't be able to see it. Uh, Maybe those of you on the live stream can see it, and maybe people in the front, but I really like this visual as it summarized Acts very nicely, you know? But to, to sum it up, basically, I just wanted to point out that uh, we're in the period of AD 50, around uh, Acts chapter 18, and we see that this is Paul's ministry. He's on the end of his second missionary journey, and he's going to start his third missionary journey in the chapter zone, the second half of the chapter. So today I'll be focusing on the missionary journey in Corinth. And this is Greece, uh, for those of you who don't know. And uh, this is also, it fulfills, you know, the Great Commission where he's uh, now going to the uttermost parts of the earth. So that's a quick summary of uh, the book of Acts. And this nice visual is there. It'll be online for you to see if you Google it. But uh, 
I just wanted to include that in my message. So, uh, talking about Paul, right? He's on his uh, second missionary journey in uh, Acts chapter 18. And uh, I want to bring to your attention, right? How would we describe Paul, right? When I thought about this question, how would I describe Paul? You know, the words that come to mind would be zealous or fearless or determined, right? Paul was a man who gave his all in whatever he believed in, right? When he was with, when he believed in Judaism, right, he was Saul of Tarsus, he was very zealous. He would drag people by their necks, drag people by their coats, men and women, and throw them into prison. And he would persecute the disciples, right? He would, he would breathe threats of murder against them. But then, once he met Jesus on the, Lord, on the road to Damascus, it was a complete 180. He completely changed his life, and he would go and travel thousands of miles, preaching the gospel to everyone. And he would then also write these moving and captivating letters, which we now have as part of our New Testament. So, to say the least, he was a very intelligent man, a deep thinker, and he was a very gifted person. Now, that's how I would think of Paul. And you know the words that wouldn't come to mind when I describe Paul? The words such as fearful or discouraged or weak. And yet, this is how Paul describes himself and how he felt during his early days in Corinth. He uses the words fear, weakness, and much trembling. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 3 says, And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. You see, even though he was a giant in our faith, and he was more smarter and more determined than most of us, Paul still struggled with the same emotions that you and I struggle with today. So you might be asking, why was Paul feeling afraid and weak? Well, let's trace some of the events that led up to his time in Corinth. So you'll recall that uh, God forbade him to go. When he was in Asia Minor, he wanted to go to the province of Asia, and the Holy Spirit forbade him. And then he sought to go into Bithynia, and again, the Spirit of, the whole of Jesus did not permit him. Then he was in Philippi, and Paul and Silas were falsely accused. They were unjustly beaten, and they were thrown into jail. After that, uh, he went to Thessalonica, and he preached to the Jews, and then the Jews had an uproar. They were jealous, some of them who didn't convert, and they chased him out, right? From there, he went to Berea, and again, same thing happened. He preached, he preached the gospel. Some Jews converted. The others grew jealous and chased him out again. And then he went, as we saw in Uberson's message last week, he went to Athens, right? And from there, uh, same type of treatment. He wasn't chased out, but this time they ridiculed him, right? And sometimes open opposition is more easy to deal with than people talking, you know, whispering behind your back and mocking you, right? So after that, he was in Athens and uh, he left, and he left on his way alone to Corinth, okay? And from Corinth, he had to travel 80 kilometers by foot, by himself. Can you imagine walking alone for 80 kilometers after facing through all these trials? 
I'd be discouraged. I'd be all up in my head, discouraging myself. And sometimes we're our own worst enemies when that happens. And not to take anything lightly, but Corinth was not a great place, right? It had 200,000 residents, and uh, a lot of people from the Roman Empire traveled through Corinth. It was this place where it was a big crossroads, and you had to travel. It was very densely populated. And on top of that, there was this temple, the Temple of Aphrodite, which is the goddess of love. And it had over a thousand prostitutes. And they all practiced under the banner of religion. This city was very notorious for its immorality. And even in the fifth century, they made a, word, a verb out of the word Corinthian, the, 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 the city. And it meant uh, to Corinthianize meant to commit sexual immorality. That's crazy, right? Such that city was so infamous for its sexual immorality that it, the city's name became a verb to, Corinthia, to Corinthianize meant to commit sexual immorality. Now, even though the situation seemed very dire for Paul, God was still faithful to Paul. So today, I'm going to go through uh, four signs of God's faithfulness. And today's passage, we will see that God is faithful to supply our needs, to bear fruit. God is faithful to confirm his presence. And finally, God is faithful to overcome opposition. So let's start by reading Acts chapter 18, verses 1 to 5. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them. And because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that, that Christ was Jesus. So God is faithful to supply our needs. And in this passage, what I found was God was faithful to supply Paul with godly companionship. You see... Paul had run out of money, right? So he had to find work. Being trained as a tent maker, he found this couple, Aquila and Priscilla, and he stayed with them and began to work. Aquila and Priscilla were Jews originally from Rome. And at the time in Rome, there was unrest caused by the Jews. So the Roman emperor, Claudius, he made a decree and forced all the Jews out of Rome. And this couple happened to travel to Corinth and that same time, Paul also ended up in Corinth, and God used this decree to bring this couple and Paul together. God providentially brought these three together for his purpose. Now, we don't know whether Aquila and Priscilla had, were Christians before they met Paul or after they met Paul, but it probably, they probably were Christians before they met Paul since had such two prominent individuals come to faith under Paul's ministry, it probably would have been recorded. So we're going to assume that Aquila and Priscilla were Christians and they came into contact with Paul. Now, from this passage alone, you can't tell the connection they had, Paul 
with Aquila and Priscilla. But if you look all throughout the New Testament, you will see how close Paul and these two were. In 1 Corinthians chapter 16, we see that even after Corinth, the couple went with Paul to Ephesus, where they hosted a church in their home. And then eventually they returned to Rome, where they also hosted a church. In Romans 16, verse 3 to 4, Paul writes, Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life, whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. This couple had such a deep friendship with Paul that they even risked their lives for his sake, and they were appreciated by all the Gentile churches. In one of the last verses Paul wrote before he was executed, he wrote a greeting to Aquila and Priscilla, and they had become his lifelong friends. In his last moments, before he was executed, this couple was in his thoughts, and he thought of them during his last days. Brothers and sisters, they were not only good instrumental friends to Paul, they were also helpful to Apollos. Now, I'm going to skip around, and we're going to look at the end of chapter 18, but they were instrumental to Apollos as well. Let's read that, Acts chapter 18, verse 24 to 28. Now, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only of the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed. For he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. So here we have Paul. So, sorry. Here we have a Jew named Apollos. And he was a gifted, and he was a gifted preacher and a very learned man, right? He taught accurately the things concerning Jesus but he only knew of the baptism of John. And he knew John's message of a Messiah. And he knew that Messiah was Jesus. But what he didn't know was the significance of Christ's death and resurrection, nor the coming of the Holy Spirit. So Aquila and Priscilla took him aside, possibly to their home, and explained to him the importance of Christ's atoning death and resurrection. Aquila and Priscilla's role in Apollos learning the whole truth was crucial at this time, and it greatly encouraged and edified Apollos. God used Priscilla and Aquila in Paul's life and Apollos' life. And brothers and sisters, we desperately need each other in our Christian journey. Let's uh, jump back to verse 5. Remember that... Um, Silas and Timothy had finally come to Corinth. So we have Paul uh, living with Aquila and Priscilla, and he's making money, right, doing tent making. And during the week, he's doing this job. And then on the Sabbath, he'll go to the synagogue and he'll preach 
to the Jews and to the Greeks that Jesus is the Christ. But uh, then there was a sight for sore eyes, right? Silas and Timothy had arrived into Corinth. And when they arrived, they brought great news. They brought the news that there was strength of the churches in Macedonia, the churches that he had helped build. And they also brought a generous gift from the church in Philippi. That enabled Paul to once again go back into full-time ministry. Isn't that amazing? God knows what we need and exactly when we need it. It's amazing that God provided for Paul, who was feeling weak and afraid. God provided him with companionship through Aquila, Priscilla, Silas, Timothy. All these individuals encouraged Paul with their presence. On top of that, God provided food, shelter, work to be done. And finally, God provided Paul financially so that he could continue the ministry full time. In Matthew 6, verse 26, it says, Look at the birds of the air. They neither, sow, they neither sow nor reap, nor gather into barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Brothers and sisters, we need to make our requests known to God. And it's not wrong to make your requests known to God, even in the area of finances. Plus, if you make your request known to God, it's a great joy when you live that way and when God provides exactly what you've been praying for. We all need to bring everything that we have, all our needs, to God. And He doesn't always answer in the way that we think or the way that we conceive, but He will give an answer in some other ways. And that makes me, that, that points me to just our needs, right? We we have needs, and God was able to faithfully supply the needs of Paul through companionship, godly companionship, and finances. When we are saved, we are in a body, right? The body of Christ, with Jesus Christ as our head. And as a body, we are not designed to do it alone. All ministry is team ministry. We should complement one another, pray for one another, and bear one another's burdens. I can't begin to tell you how this community here in RBC has really impacted me. You know, the friendships that I have formed here in this church, I look forward to any events that we go to and all the Bible studies that I participate. It's so encouraging and the friendships that you form are none, you know, like bar none. It's amazing. Brothers and sisters, godly companionship will encourage you and will help you point you towards Christ. And it'll help us overcome any fear and weakness just as Paul was feeling. Next, I want to uh, go through Acts chapter 18, verse 4 to 8. And in this, uh, we see that God is faithful to bear fruit. So Acts chapter 18, verse 4 to 8. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And he left there and went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord, 
together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. You see, every Sabbath, remember, Paul was going and preaching to the Jews and the Greeks that Jesus was Christ. But bit by bit, a clear opposition was building. And Paul may have not recovered, you know, fully from his journey in Philippi or walking for 80 kilometers. So all this, his loneliness, the fear, all this was weighing on his mind. But then when Silas and Timothy appeared, he was probably encouraged. And finally, he was able to devote his full time, his work, his time, full time to the ministry. But as soon as he did, the Jews fiercely opposed him. And he, he, he was strongly opposed by the Jews at that time. So he took the dramatic action and he rebuked the Jews. And he told them that he shook out his coat among, uh, he shook out his coat and he told them that uh, I am innocent, right? Your blood be on your own heads. You've rejected the gospel. And then he said, I'm going to go to the Gentiles. So he focused to his ministry now on the Gentiles. And when he did that, God worked among the Gentiles, right? He, as soon as he did that, he was able to go and save the man right next to the synagogue, Titius Justus. And he believed in, in God after Paul had now focused on the Gentiles. And then he went and was able to help convert Crispus, the leader of the synagogue. And then many Corinthians were believing and being baptized. And these Gentiles were from so many different diverse backgrounds. We read in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9 to 11, that Paul lists in this church former fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, effeminates, homosexuals, thieves, covetous, drunkards, revilers, swindlers, all making up the church at Corinth. Romans 5, verse 20 says, But where sin abounded, grace much more abounded. Praise God. His focus on the Gentiles now had exploded into so many people coming to Christ. A key takeaway from this that I see is that Paul's persistence despite rejection, right? He tried to persuade the Jews for so long and they still rejected him. He then shifted his efforts and focused on the Gentiles. And as soon as he did, God was faithful to work in their hearts, and many were saved. Sometimes we also do the same, right? We pigeonhole ourselves. And even in terms of evangelism, maybe we're focusing on one demographic, or maybe suppose in terms of service in the church, you're focusing on one service for God. But then maybe it doesn't work out, and we need to ask for God guidance. Maybe there's another demographic to reach out to, or another service that we may be able to do for God. We need to go to God for guidance and ask Him to lead us. We need to preach the gospel to all nations, just as Paul did. I hope that God will use this church and will use all of you to bring people to Christ. If we're not bringing people to Christ, we have lost our mission. If, like Paul, at this time you're struggling with discouragement, nothing will encourage you more than bringing someone to Christ, right? And to see someone through your witness, get saved. If God was mighty enough to save the Corinthians, he can save all the people around you and even anyone in Montreal. Now, many were saved, right? But there was still this nagging fear in Paul's mind, right? 
he could clearly see the pattern. He would preach the gospel, some would get converted, then the jealous Jews would raise an uproar, they would stir up opposition, then he would have to flee for his life. This was the pattern. And now, he, now since there was this, he was seeing some initial response from the synagogue, uh, Paul might have been on the verge of leaving, right? He could have thought in his mind that I'm going to get hurt somehow, right? Seeing as such the Corinthian, just as the city of Corinth was such a densely populated area and a lot of crimes are happening around, he could have thought he was going to get hurt this time. And he was probably afraid. He was discouraged. And you can be assured if Paul was feeling that way, all of us feel that way at some time. So, what did God do in this time? God, when Paul was feeling discouraged, was faithful to confirm his presence to Paul. And so God appeared to Paul in a vision. And in Acts chapter 19, verses 9 to 11, it says, And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking, and do not be silent, for I am with you. And no one will attack you, or no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. Just when Paul needed it, the Lord appeared to him in a vision and encouraged him. And this is one of six visions that Paul receives in Acts, all critical moments in his ministry. This was not just some strong impression. The Lord Jesus Christ actually appeared to him, and he was audible to Paul. Paul heard him. Now, I won't say that God doesn't do this anymore, but God usually speaks to us nowadays through his word and through his spirit, and that gives us the confirmation that we need. God confirmed three things for Paul here. First, the Lord confirmed his presence. God said, I am with you. When he gave the Great Commission, Jesus promised, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. That's in Matthew chapter 28, verse 20. And then God also promised the Israelites. The Lord's promise to Israel also applies to us when he called them by name. In Isaiah chapter 43, verse 1 to 3, it says, Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they will not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be scorched, nor will the flames burn you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Knowing that, that the Lord your God is with you, through whatever you're going through, is an unspeakable comfort. Next, the Lord confirmed his protection. Jesus said to him, no man will attack you in order to harm you. Now, this was not a general promise that applied to the rest of Acts or to every situation thereon, but only this time in Corinth because he was feeling more afraid. At other times, Paul did suffer physical attacks, but for now, God promised his protection. This application is not that God's servants are guaranteed physical safety. No, that's not it. Many of his servants actually are killed because of their witness. But we can know that no one can touch us unless it is God's will. And as long as, that, as, as long as we have a mission, as long as he has a mission for us to complete, he will keep his protective hand upon us. Finally, 
the Lord confirmed his purpose. For I have many in this city who are my people. God here is referring to his elect. Now, I don't want to get into the doctrine of election. I'm going to keep this very simple. There were many Corinthians who needed to hear the gospel. And God knew each and every one of them by name. Paul didn't know who they were. Thus, Paul had to preach the gospel. He could not leave the city until the people who needed to hear the gospel heard the gospel. Paul's mission in the Corinthian church was not yet finished. Now, as the, so what did he do? Well, we see in that last verse that he stayed there for a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. Now, as he did that, what grew was opposition, right? Opposition started growing. And we see that in Acts chapter 18, verses 12 to 17. But when Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him before the tribunal, saying, This man is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, Galileo said to the Jews, If it were a matter of wrongdoing or a vicious crime, O Jews, I would have reason to accept your complaint. But since it is a matter of questions about words and names and your own law, see to it to to yourselves. I refuse to be a judge of these things. And he drove them from the tribunal. And they all seized Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him in front of the tribunal. But Gallio paid no attention to any of this. God did not promise Paul protection from opposition. He only promised protection from physical harm. So when there was a new governor who took office back in AD 50, he was brand new and he only ruled for one year at the time, the Jews sought to get rid of Paul by capitalizing on Gallio's inexperienced authority. So they brought him before the judgment seat. Now this judgment seat was a seat in a marketplace and it was a public, public uh, type of courtroom where everyone can see what was happening. And what their argument was, they, they argued that Paul had been defying the law. And their argument was structured like this, right? Judaism was the religion that was tolerated by the Jews, by, by Rome. And Christianity was not. So they were saying that Christianity is separate from Judaism and that Paul practicing Christianity is in violation of Roman law. This would have been detrimental had Gallio ruled in the Jews' favor because it would have meant that Christianity would probably be banned in Corinth at the time and probably all throughout the empire. But before Paul could even respond, Gallio threw out the case. He gave his thoughts. You see, Gallio saw Christianity as merely a sect of Judaism. And so he thought of this this quarrel as an internal religious dispute. Seeing Corinth was a densely populated area, there were probably more pressing crimes that were on Gallio's mind. And that actually needed attention. So he blatantly refused this trial and he threw out the case before Paul could even defend himself. Praise God. God provided for Paul at this time and overcame this opposition. You see, after that, the Jews were so angry with the verdict that 
They even attacked their own leader, Sosthenes, right, for botching the case against Paul. Sosthenes eventually later became a Christian, and we read about him in 1 Corinthians. At the time, Emperor Nero eventually, 10 years later, turned against Christianity. But for about 10 years, Gallio's ruling provided legal protection for the church. And so God's faithful providence was seen in this time against the apathy of the ruler at the time, the proconsul, and against the aggression of the Jews. The bottom line of all of this is that God was faithful to Paul, and God is faithful to us. Now, the point of this message and the, the theme that we should learn from this is that we need to be faithful as well. God would not have told Paul, do not be afraid, unless Paul was actually afraid. If the bold apostle Paul could go and preach to hostile audiences and be afraid, then so can any one of us. One of the biggest temptations to do when we are afraid is to become people pleasers rather than God pleasers. Let's face it, there are some difficult truths in God's word, and if we soften our message, we are not being faithful to the Lord. The gospel is not God loves you and wants you to be happy and have a happy life. That's not the gospel. The gospel is that you are a lost sinner, alienated from a holy God. And the only remedy for our sin is the blood of God's Son, Jesus Christ. You must repent for your sin, trust in God, and then you'll be saved from God's judgment. If we do not confront sinners about their sin, we are not preaching the gospel. There are so many who need to hear the gospel, even around the world and even here in Montreal today. So, to conclude, let's go over some application points that we have. First, we need to faithfully serve the Lord in whatever capacity. That means in your job, right, your secular job, or even any job you have at the church. We need to faithfully do it to the Lord and give our 100% in any capacity. Then, we desperately need each other in our Christian journey. There is strength in numbers, and God will provide the right people in your life at the right time. These people will encourage you and point you to Christ. Next, we need to go to God in prayer and trust Him for whatever needs we have. They can be financial, financial, spiritual, emotional. God is there for all of it, and He will provide in the means that are necessary to supply your needs. Next, we need to tell the whole truth of the gospel, and we need to let God work in people's hearts. Finally, we need to be faithful to Him in spite of difficulties because God has promised us a reward in heaven. Finally, I'd like to conclude by reading Isaiah chapter 40, verse 29 to 31. He gives strength to the weary, and to him who lacks might, he increases power. Though youths grow weary and tired, and vigorous young men stumble badly, yet those who wait on the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will, not, they will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. The same comfort is available for those who faithfully serve our God.
Let's pray. Dear Father, we thank you, O Lord, for allowing us to come into your presence, O Lord. We, allow, we thank you, O Lord, for being faithful to us despite all the difficulties we go through, O Lord. It's a hard world out there, and we're bombarded by so many things in the world, O Lord. Paul, we saw, was discouraged. He was afraid. He was weak. And sometimes we also feel that way. We feel weak. We feel afraid in the things that we do. Sometimes we are our own worst enemy. We get into our own heads, and we discourage ourselves, and we, and we talk, talk ourselves down. But God, we know that you are there. You are faithful. You are faithful to firstly supply our needs, O Lord. You're faithful to bring us godly companionship. You're faithful to supply anything that we ask for and pray for. God, you are faithful also in confirming your presence to us. And you're faithful in providing protection, O Lord. And you're faithful to confirm your purpose to us, O Lord. God, we thank you for being so faithful to us, O Lord, in all circumstances of life. And we thank you for allowing all these brothers and sisters to be gathered here uh, to worship you and praise you, O Lord. Give us strength as we minister to people, O Lord. Give us strength as we live godly lives in faithful service to you, O Lord. And help us to love you in all that we do, O Lord. Help us to have this manna for the week and help us to be reminded that you are faithful to us and that we also need to be faithful to you. In Jesus' name.